foot bone's connected to the ankle bone. Ankle bone's connected to the knee bone. Knee bone's connected to the hip bone. And that's how you throw a ball. And we're going to talk about mechanics of throwing on this podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. So, welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast, everybody. I'm Jennifer Lee here in the Goodyear Clinic. I'm joined, well, remotely by all the guys that were just on the last podcast you probably listened to. Uh, Paul Gallano, Dan Mirowski, and then we got Josh. I'm sorry, I don't know your last name, Josh. And Dylan Miller, Miller from the Sunny Slope Clinic. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So on the last podcast, we kind of talked about uh, statistics in throwing and baseball and sports specialization and a little bit more in the education realm about um, how much is too much for throwing and how early is too early for throwing. But we wanted to get into a little bit more the mechanics of throwing in this podcast. And so I just say, let's throw it out there. What literally throw it out there? Like that pun? <laughs> that's good. Nice. Yeah. So I started off with the foot bones connected to the ankle bone thing. I want somebody to talk to talk about talk through throwing and why would the foot and the ankle matter for throwing? It doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even matter. You don't need one. It's not yeah. not necessary. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> pretty much we could honestly go here and say, name the part of your body that doesn't have an impact on your throwing mechanics. And if someone names something, they would be wrong. Everything is going to impact how they are throwing. And it's obviously going to start with the foot. Um, and whether we are talking about the stand, I'll just talk about the stance like for it in general. Um, I know, Dylan, you have a little research article that talks about a specific thing. You want to bring that up real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, bringing me in. But uh yeah, I found a research article that actually talked about how baseball players actually diagnosed with UCL tears uh, demonstrated decreased balance compared to healthy controls. Um, so they took a lot of athletes and, uh, you know, looked at their range of motion and total range of motion and the GERD, and, but also looked at a lot of balance. So it starts with the foot and the ankle. Um, what is your stability like? And they did a couple tests, specifically the wide balance test. Um, so if you're a right-handed pitcher, you're standing on your right leg and moving your left foot in a sagittal transverse and frontal planes. Um, and they noticed that a lot of athletes that struggled with their stance leg actually put a lot more force and torque on their elbow, specifically their UCL causing, um, it can be indicative of UCL injuries. Um, and that could be anybody, um, whether it's a high school athlete, um, little league, or even up to the professional league. And I think that's where us as therapists can make a huge impact in a lot of, um, athletes rehab protocol but also education on we need to be able to we can prevent this by doing these things and so obviously then we're talking about the importance of balance balance with the foot and then what are other things we know about the foot in general well if the foot can't go through appropriate mechanics during stance it does actually shut down how the gluteals are able to fire um whether it's that individual has chronic injury issues with your ankle sprain or achilles tendonitis type stuff or just simply the fact it doesn't go through the mechanics they've literally shown in studies that the glutes do not fire the way they need to Jumping ahead a little bit here, but obviously this acts on the impact that, again, every part of the body is essential. Because pretty much if you're not utilizing something to its fullest capacity, you're going to try to make up for it somewhere else. And what's going to typically happen, you're going to try to overthrow, which is either going to be a huge control issue or a huge stress issue on your elbow. Either way, you are not winning this battle. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> playing to the foot ankle specifically, if somebody's pitching off the rubber, um, you know, they're going to go through a little bit of 
plantar flexion. Then they're going to go through a little bit of calcaneal inversion and eversion. They're going to go through a little bit of midfoot supination and pronation during the various phases of, of, of pitching. So our ability to understand that really that foot ankle complex is going to go through all six major movements that foot ankle can go through is going to happen in pitching, right? And if there's a breakdown in that from a mobility standpoint, obviously that can impact all the way up the chain, like Paul was talking to into those glutes, um, you know, even up into that core, that principle of irradiation from PNF has a direct influence on that. Um, which then obviously if their core isn't firing appropriately, then that's going to put extra stress through their shoulder girdle. They're going to over, and then they're going to overthrow as Paul alluded to. Um, Mm -hmm. but that also then like Dylan alluded to is there's an important component of of looking at that stability and can Mm -hmm. they have a stable platform through all of those different foot positions to allow for adequate force production. And I think that's where us as movement experts and understand what's happening at at the body and really breaking it down in the different phases or movements of throwing and not necessarily the five common phases of throwing. Right. Uh, but what needs to happen in each joint during the entire sequence is where our role lies. Right. That needs to be a huge period. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was just going to say that, that also kind of, it should help some of you that maybe aren't baseball players, aren't volleyball players, Mm -hmm. aren't basketball players. Ultimately, it is to get a little bit of a tricky road of talking about changing someone's mechanics that gets a little bit of that. Whose scope is that in? There's a lot of people going to be upset with you tweaking mechanics. Ultimately we are movement specialists. Do they have the movement that is necessary to go through a motion? You can pretty easily Google any image and see what motion is going to happen and what needs to be able to get there. I mean, how often does someone look at an ankle and realize, Oh, then it goes really stiff. That's not going to let them go as far Then that might stop how far they can stride. And again, that's going to change their ability to generate force. So you don't have to know expertly what are the perfect mechanics, how does it all work, as long as you know what is supposed to happen at a joint within a certain range and you can watch a video of it, it's going to help you to tackle those issues. Maybe you might not be as comfortable with a specific sport. Sure. That's one of the things, like any thrower or pitcher that I have, one of the questions I ask in subjective in the eval is, have you had ankle sprains? And if so, how many? Because so many athletes, ankle sprains, especially if they play more than one sport, like soccer or anything like that, like Ankle sprains are a day-to-day thing, and they don't think anything of them, and you're not going to see it on the past medical history form. And so I'll ask, have you had any ankle sprains? So I'll know I need to definitely look at ankle stability and mobility, especially through that stance leg, because if you don't have the ability to maintain that actually a little bit more pronated position, not go into full supination as you wind up into your prayer, into your pitcher's prayer, then you're not going to be able to drag the knee down and forward and lunge into that opening stance leg. So um, that's one of the questions I ask for sure. I think that needs to be a huge shift in, in rehab in general for throwers and less on the rotator cuff specifically and what and what it quote unquote does as opposed to the rest of the body and, and balancing it out. I couldn't agree more with you, Jen. And also, I mean, even going into uh, objective part of the, your initial evaluation is mm-hmm. now do some single leg butt stuff. Like, what is your single leg balance like? You know, do it on a solid surface first and then do some perturbations and then do a compliant surface, some perturbations. Like, can they really engage everything and have dynamic core stability to perform that throwing motion first? If they can't even stand on one leg with perturbations, then good luck trying to ha- and create and generate all this force from the ground up land on your left foot if you're a right-handed pitcher and try to get all that movement and that 
reaction force through your left foot as you land all the way up through your core, your obliques, up to your shoulder and elbow. If you can't do that, I mean, now we're going to see a lot more injuries at the shoulder or the elbow. And the elbow can't hide. Exactly. If the shoulder's weak, the elbow's going to take a, a big downfall there. So yeah, I think people it's hard for people to see, okay, how would the elbow break down? But it it's so easy to see. One of my mentors actually said, okay, think about the goal. Your goal is to throw X miles an hour towards this direction. And that's going to be your goal no matter what. And it doesn't matter how you move. That's your goal to get to go that way. So you're not consciously choosing I can do this motion I can't I can control this motion I can't what you're choosing is I don't care how I do it I'm going to throw it this direction this quickly and so you're going to break down if you're not able to use the bigger bigger muscles and bigger structures well and I want to go back to something I, I you're you're dead on on that part and I want to go back to something that Paul alluded to about the mechanics right and it's not necessarily our job unless you've been trained in that um to to start working with mechanics of throwing or whatever. It's our job to understand that and to ensure that they have efficient movement. Mm -hmm. But I want our listeners to understand like there are multiple ways to throw a ball. There are multiple ways to swing a golf club. There are multiple ways to do all of those different things. But when you start to break down their movements, it doesn't matter necessarily what arm angle, what their slot is. Their lower half is where they're consistent across the board to be able to appropriately generate and deliver said task, right? If the lower body starts to break down, you are going to see a significant increase in upper extremity injuries. Dylan's study highlighted that and, and it proved it from a balance standpoint. I would almost argue that we would see the same thing if we tested it from a motion standpoint as well. And to tie off what Dan's saying, I'd almost argue that the motion is more important than the mechanics simply on the fact that you can't do the mechanics if the motion isn't there. I mean, ultimately, mechanics in appropriate form is what's going to get you to higher levels. But if you are needing to, let's just say tennis, for example, what Dan's doing, you're trying to get more force out of the person's swing. It comes from loading up, comes from bending your knees, comes from staying low, comes from rotating through your thoracic spine. It doesn't come from your shoulder. If your thoracic spine can't rotate anywhere... I don't care how long your coach tries to get you to wind further into the motion. You can't do it. It's not physically possible. So the greatest coach on the planet can't address your mechanics if you don't have the motion available to get into said mechanics. Right. And it's interesting the changes in mechanics that will actually happen with fatigue or with improper movement. So one of the things that I've heard that I actually hadn't put together before was that once you start throwing a fastball high – that can be indicative of your front leg, the, the landing leg actually starting to fatigue on you as you're coming through and you're not able to kind of load down and actually load into that leg as you're coming through your throw. So it's interesting to see, yeah, you may not be breaking down as far as your as injury day to day, but you could be breaking down in your mechanics and how the ball is actually coming out of your hand because of other parts of your body. Yeah, and basically what all you guys have said, um, I mean, you could have an athlete, a baseball pitcher is 12 years old, and you could go for the first, you know, 10 sessions and literally not pick up a ball or do any motion with the arm. It could literally just mm-hmm. be from the foot up to the hip and the core, and you could work them. Because yeah. if you, I mean, as a, as a pitcher, you don't just work in just the sagittal plane. You're a frontal, there's transverse. I mean, there's a lot of transverse, but if, mm-hmm. I mean, your body's going to compensate and take the path of least resistance. And like what Paul yep. said, if your thoracic spine does not move, I don't care how much harder you try to throw, you're just not going to do it. So, right. Yeah. I mean, hey, if, Dan, I'm going to call you out. Go ahead. You, I want you to explain your PVC throwing exercise 
Because oh. I think that's gold. Yeah. So Jen had sent Paul and I a video of a of a fairly high level high school baseball player who is complaining of some shocking medial elbow symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. And Jen had done a great job of, of of starting to facilitate, you know, right ankle stability, left leg uh, stability, you know, um, core initiation. Uh, he was a right hand thrower, so facilitating left thoracic rotation, accelerating left thoracic rotation, but he was still having some elbow symptoms. Uh, it looked like he had a little bit of a shallow follow through. And what I mean by shallow follow through is, is he's coming more towards his rib cage or his ASIS as opposed to really long and low and finishing long and low kind of on that outside of that in his situation, the outside of his left thigh. Right. And, you know, you'll hear some coaches talk about, you know, I want you to basically slap the outside of your thigh or whatnot so that you, you build that motor program. Well, for this guy, it, it, it came back to when we put a PVC pipe in his hand and he threw the way he had been throwing and it caused pain. He heard a certain sound. Right. And that, and that sound was some sort of whoosh sound, right? Not whoopa, whoosh. <laughs> from the PVC pipe. Yeah. Yeah. From, from yeah. the PVC pipe, Thanks right? Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, no, not, not from the medial <laughs> elbow, right? Elbow. Josh is looking at me like, wait, right? what? There was no popping sound. Let me yeah. clarify that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but then when, when Jen started to change his facilitation and his cueing and he finished in a different way and he, he, he was more focused on that versus his mechanic, all of a sudden you heard, he heard a different feedback and a different slash faster sound. And he realized that that was without symptom. Um, and so utilizing something like that from a training component on our end can be huge, but I was going to actually go back to Dylan's point about it may take 10 to 12 sessions before you even have them throw a ball because as Josh and I have seen with our 12 year old, that's got, he had a pre-stress fracture in his humerus this growth plate and we've done so much to um and i want josh to talk a little bit about the load that he mentioned in the previous podcast we've done a lot to load this young man but not load his shoulder right we've we've loaded other things that are still going to help him from a throwing standpoint when he actually starts to work with dylan's brother miles who's going to help him with some pitching mechanics um get it so that, that he's ready to move on to that mechanical component. So Josh, you want to speak a little bit about, about what we've done from a load standpoint to help this young man who's, who's had a, you know, and, and really working through his legs and his core. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the objective for us is, is PTs and obviously it's a student here. Um, but like the objective is to make a resilient and durable athlete all, all together. So um, that means training them from the ground up, like we just talked about. Um, so we're, we've been trying to load him in various planes, work on his lower extremity power, you know, all kinds of strength stuff too. Um, and even, you know, rotational components. So we want stuff that kind of looks and smells like pitching, but also kind of back off the gas a little bit and work on just general strength adaptations and power output. Um, I want to highlight one thing Josh said there and, and, and he talked about the resiliency of the body, right? And I think that's something important for our listeners to really take into consideration. And I kind of want to ask Paul and Jen and Dylan a question about resiliency and how 
having an understanding of, of mechanics. Right. And I think, you know, we can tailor this to the youth athlete, but it's really any sport, whether it's overhead or not. I mean, we still have to do our due diligence and find out what movements are required of that individual. You can find that super quick on YouTube, right? Uh, or, or watch sports center and you're going to see some of those mechanical breakdowns by leading experts, right? But take a little time to talk about the resiliency and what a training program may can entail briefly um, for our listeners to kind of start to, to understand kind of a concept we talked about in the last podcast about active rest and not having overhead throwing motions, but still working on the resiliency of their system so that when they start to throw, it's like they haven't missed anything, even though I haven't thrown for three to four months. Yeah, so I think I mean that's a, that's a brilliant question. Um, and so oh, if you that's if you, a compliment, yeah, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> take them while you can get it. <laughs> but I mean, if I if you have an athlete that walks through your door right now, is like I'm having some uh, medial elbow pain, like Dan and Josh have right now. Um, the biggest thing is after your your uh, initial exam is all right. What can you do? properly but what can't you do where can you not get movement from and you're going to notice that really quickly too so a lot of things is you know start with you know basic stuff start with a sagittal plane can you balance in sagittal plane with toe touch reaches can you do frontal plane can you do transverse great now can you load it can you do a lunge matrix now can you do a jap matrix which is basically a lunge matrix but you're kind of hopping from one foot to the other and can you stabilize from that so it's like you're if you're a pitcher you're coming from the right foot stance leg to the left foot and that's your that's that's just what you land on. So can you do that efficiently? But also, can you get that left hip external rotation and that rotation through your core, your obliques, and like you know, have him maybe try to go through some of that that arm motion, but not holding anything. Act like he's about to pitch. So that's things like that. That can you strengthen it? Can you work on the glutes? Can you work on the core? Can you work on obliques? I mean, we've talked about this this whole podcast is from the ground up. And so when that pitcher mm-hmm. does take two to three months of active rest, he's not picking up a ball one bit. But when he gets back to it, it's like, I feel like I've been doing this motion over and over and over again. And I feel like actually I'm stronger. I do have more output. I feel like I haven't lost a beat. And you pick up that ball and it's like, wow, you've seen kids that actually take an active rest of three months mm-hmm. and they come back and it's like, wow, I actually throw three to five mile an hour, miles per hour faster. And they have not yeah. even picked up a ball. And that, that's huge for us as therapists and even trainers and personal trainers and coaches to understand that we can train. We're smart enough and we are movement specialists that we should be able to train that athlete without having to pick up a ball. So I absolutely agree with you. And I'm going to drive home a point that Dan mentions a lot. Um, not only can you control it, but can you do it 100 times because you're going to have to go through that throw approximately x amount of times playing this much during a weekend or or during a game whatever it may be depending on who the thrower is and we talked about that last podcast is everybody's a little bit different but at what point do they start breaking down in their legs and what point is the endurance gone because at that point you're still going to like i mentioned before you're still going to throw the ball as fast as you can that direction because they're you know guys running to first or whatever so you're against the timeline to get it there. You're going to figure out your best way that you can fatigued or not. And I so think increasing, increasing the repetition and duration that they're doing those exercises. 
And I think Jen's onto something very important there when she talks about the consistency and that, like talking about pitch count, whether we're staying within the 75 or if it's an appropriate from the age group and they can do more, they have to be able to replicate it that many pitches, but also they need to be able to consistently replicate the same form. And what's one of the things we see in every sport across the board? What's the secret to free throws having replicatable form? What's the secret in tennis having replicatable form? What's the secret in golf having replicatable form pitching? I mean, consistently over and over, the ability to replicate the same consistent mechanics is essential. And a lot of that goes back to something that Dylan touched on earlier. And he said, you know, if you can't even stand on a single leg and deal with perturbations and you can't activate your core, how are you going to do the rest of the chain? I mean, the core is exactly that. It is the core. <laughs> it is at the center of all of this. Mm-hmm. So you could go through and do tons of dynamic core stabilization and core training for them, which is going to allow everything else around it to function at a much higher level while still providing some of the active rest that Dan said. Like Josh was talking about, you could make it look a little bit and smell a little bit like pitching. We don't have to actually pitch. I don't want them just doing static planks the entire time because pitching is not a static activity. There's a dynamic rotational activity component to it. Like Dylan was saying, huge transverse plane. You can replicate that core challenge without pitching. Then when the body gets back to it, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm stronger through this specific motion. I'm just adding a couple other things onto it. And suddenly you see that three, five mile an hour increase because the core activates, everything else functions better around it. The scapula is able to move. Everything can do what it's supposed to do for you. And suddenly you're a lot more effective with mechanics, for whatever activity it is sporting wise you're talking about. Yeah. And I think once, and I think once you do get back, if you do have that three month of active rest is when you go back is, all right, cool. Don't go ahead and go 150 yards and go, I'm going to play long toss today. I haven't picked up a ball in three months, but I'm going to wear out my arm for, you know, 20 minutes, right. you know, maybe incorporate even some throwing program that a lot of rehab protocols have done. And I know there's a lot of studies out there too. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks, maybe just throw 15 to 20 feet, but, you know, do it for 10 to 20 minutes and then work your way up again. And that's where us as therapists can actually implement that, educate a lot of our athletes and coaches, um, even parents uh, well as, as well, and even pitching coaches. And I think they should be really knowledgeable on how to do that and what it looks like. Um, and like what you talked to, Jen, is if you're going to do something where you're doing a job matrix, can you do it 100 times? You're going to do it in a game. But when do you right. fatigue? And when you do fatigue, what happens and how do you compensate? And so we can actually correct that too. Um, and I think that is a huge thing. There's, I mean, baseball is usually a pretty quick game. It's like, all right, cool, loading, now landing. All right, now, okay, let's wait 10 minutes for the next pitch kind of thing. And, but it's one of those we have to be able to adapt and how our body's going to adapt to when it comes to endurance of throwing, uh, especially overhead athletes. Yeah. I also I feel like this is. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I also want to say this should hopefully sound a little bit like a, something that can, might help you convince your athlete to take some time off. We're saying an active rest, like Dan was asking, what is active rest? We're not saying just take three months off to rest your body and just, you know, make sure you keep jogging and running and stay cardiovascularly strong. We're saying take three months off pitching, but we're going to give you a pitching program that involves no pitching to help your pitching. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's basically what we're going to do. That's what we're talking about. We're going to do a sport specific exercise program for you that doesn't have you doing your exact sport. So we're going to be resting certain areas of your body that need it while strengthening and challenging other areas of your body that need it to help you get better in your sport. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. that's misunderstood. I think, oh, I just have to, I don't want to rest for three months. Well, you're going to be resting from a certain thing, but you're going to be working towards your ultimate goal Mm -hmm. if you're truly at that level. And that's still going to allow you to be quote unquote playing baseball without being on the diamond and doing a traditional uh, game through that time frame. Exactly. Yeah. And And to, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say what you were saying a little bit ago, like going to 
YouTube or actually having your patient go through something and, and slow-moing it, maybe on an iPad, video them and, and slow-mo it and look at different parts of the body. Don't look at the whole thing. Look at different parts of the body and what do you see happening with this specific motion, if it is throwing or hitting or whatever it may be, what do you see happening with that motion? And then how can you replicate parts of that motion in an exercise program? Right. And I, the other thing that I kind of want to allude to is we're talking about athletes, right? Well, mm-hmm. when I, when I think about athletes, I think about somebody not practice, <laughs> um, like, I remember when I was going through my Titleist certification program for golf and, and one of the guys was talking about working with junior players. And a lot of times when he's working with junior players, they only spend about 20% of their session on golf. The other 80% is spent on building their athletic ability. So they're throwing a Frisbee, they're kicking a soccer ball, they're playing basketball, they're running track, right? I think that goes back to something that was kind of alluded to, but we didn't drop the stat in the last podcast on sports specialization, right? Like you hear there are certain college football coaches, um, urban cheating Meyer, uh, that, um, excuse me, uh, sorry for any Ohio state fans. Out there. Sorry. The Ohio state university, um, where he would only recruit a kid who was a multi-sport athlete in high school. If you only played football, he didn't want anything to do with you. Why? Because you hadn't developed potentially as much athletic ability. So Josh found a stat. I'll give a shout out to him that of the 322 athletes that were invited to the 2015 NFL combine, 87% of them were multi-sport high school athletes. That doesn't mean that they were standout, but they were doing something different and changing and challenging their body in a different way than always doing football related tasks. I think that's something that that's a very powerful piece of literature for us basically to go off of what Paul said. We can do things that look, smell, feel like pitching without you actually pitching um, because we understand what needs to happen in every other part of your body and we can do it with your arm, not overhead or not in the slot or whatever you want to call it, not in 90-90. We can do it, everything like that, but not in that position of your arm. Um, and, and then, you know, to Dylan's point of alluding that, you know, they, they will probably then see an increase in velocity or an increase in the resiliency to allude to what to Josh said. Um, so I think that's, that's one of our biggest roles is helping our patients also develop some athleticness, right? Like taking them through different planes of motion and, and jobs and athletic movements that they may not necessarily do on a baseball field, but they could do because at any point mm-hmm. you don't know where the ball is going to go. For sure. uh, so you have right. to be ready to do any movement at basically any given time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I feel like we could talk about this in addition to many other subjects forever, but I know a couple of us actually have to go. So any follow, any final comments from anybody? Oh, I don't think so. We're all happy. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, if anybody has any questions, feedback, concerns, anything of that nature, as always, feel free to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thank you for listening. Bye.